If Gateway can have an outside church event in sunshine, the age of miracles has really dawned. <laughs> right. We're uh, in a, a short summer series. This, this is number two, Jesus, Man of Action. And we are looking at some of the action stories from Mark's Gospel over a period of six weeks. And today we're going to go to Mark chapter 5, which is uh, an interesting little story, and uh, hardly a little story, but I've called it uh, Pigs on the Move, and so you'll probably immediately know what this story is about. So in Mark chapter 5, and from verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And then when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those attending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been uh, uh, possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Uh, And I have to say, people are obsessed by the pigs in this story. Uh, Again and again in my ministry over 50 years, I've been asked about these wretched pigs. Uh, And uh, and it says there, and they told about the pigs as well. Uh, And uh, people really are consumed with concern about these pigs. Now, uh, before we get into the story proper, some of you may know the name of Andrew Wilson, who has recently written a book. And in this book, he mentions the pigs. And he says, on the one hand, no animal is dirtier, smellier, or uglier than a pig. The unfortunate combination of snouts and snorks makes them deeply unattractive. They roll around in the mud and eat their own feces. They have become a byword for mess. Her room is a pigsty. And infidelity, he is such a pig. And ignorance, pearls before swine. And disaster, a pig's ear of it. And overeating, greedy as a pig. When they are clustered together, you can smell them for miles away. 
More than a billion people avoid eating them, <coughs> eating or touching them on religious grounds, considering them filthy and untouchable. On the other hand, they taste sensational. <laughs> Pork belly, pancetta, prosciutto, crackling, ham, barbecued ribs, salami, hog roast. It's hard to believe such a wide range of cuts and flavours could come from the same animal. And that's before mentioning the smell of sizzling bacon. <laughs> And one couldn't add to that, and they are highly intelligent as it happens. Now, all my headings are going to begin with pigs, and if I start doing that, you'll all be trying to guess that the future headings and miss my sermon. So these are my headings. You don't have to work it out. Pigs and people, pigs and power, pigs and the prophetic, pig-free and happy, pigs and praise. Okay, that's where we're going. So let's look first of all at pigs and people. I'm not starting at the beginning of this story because of people's concern about the pigs. This is a peculiarly British concern. I cannot imagine French Christians being at all bothered about the pigs. Why aren't we concerned about the pig owners? Uh, in verse 14, it says those tending the pigs ran off, and uh, we don't seem to have any concern about them, but Brits focus on the pigs. And pigs can evoke strong feelings. Uh, some really like them. My wife really likes pigs. In fact, the only picture in our house with an animal on it is in our kitchen, and it's of a greater spotted pig, uh, because Sue loves that. And uh, if you come into our kitchen anytime, you'll be able to spot it there. Okay. But the Jews won't have anything to do with pigs because it offends their dietary laws, and so uh, they totally despise them. Now, in today's culture, I think this story is a reminder that people are more important than animals. Animals are not made in the image of God. Genesis tells us men and women are. Now, we're living in a day where many people choose to be vegetarian. And that's fine. That's a choice that people can make, and it's, it should not be a problem. It certainly should not be a problem in the church if people choose to be vegetarian. Romans 14, the Bible is always up to date, is very precise about that, and says we shouldn't make an issue out of people choosing to be vegetarian. But there is what I call a kind of political vegetarianism, which comes out, to be honest, more strong in veganism, where people see ourselves so related to animals, therefore we must not eat animals at all. In fact, recently I heard there was a demonstration outside a fish shop in Poole uh, because people were demonstrating against people eating fish. Let me say that that is not a, a viewpoint that you will find in the Bible. Indeed, if you go to the Acts and to chapter 10, uh, Peter who is, of course, a Jewish by birth, but now a Christian believer, is given a vision of a sheet being let down. And it says it contained, this vision of the sheet, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter begins to protest about that. But God says to him, no, these things can be eaten. But... Political veganism particularly can very easily spring from a philosophy of evolution that totally leaves out God and says we're evolved from an animal kingdom and so we should not eat meat. Now we do believe 
that God created the animal kingdom. And therefore, because that's made clear in Genesis, let's be very clear about this. We should never be cruel to animals. And I seriously mean that. God has created the animal kingdom. But God created people in his image. He did not create animals in his image. So, for example, animals have no concept of eternity, and animals do not worship with the possible exception of cats, who I think may worship themselves. But generally speaking, animals have no concept of eternity and they do not worship. We do think of eternity. And all of us want to worship. And if you doubt that, think of the Euro football matches uh, just a few weeks ago. And when we were doing well, you know what it was saying in the, in the, in the tabloid newspapers? Uh, our players are semi-gods, right? And you felt there was a spirit of worship, really, going uh, towards them. And that's typical because in this life, people want to worship something. Now, today, we're in a situation where some people seem to be suggesting that animals are more important than people. Now, you may feel that's an exaggeration, but I would say to you, no, it is not. If you can cast your mind back to debates in parliaments over recent years, the passion and the attendance and the emotions that were poured out in debates in parliament over fox hunting was way beyond any passion attending attendance or emotion that's ever been expressed about our abortion laws in parliament. And it seems that there are people who seem to think that animals in some way are almost more important than people. And then it goes to, I think, a really dreadful point where you get uh, the high priest of atheism, as I call it, Richard Dawkins. And I want to be accurate here, but Richard Dawkins believes that we are highly evolved animals. There is no God, so God has not been involved in any way. And in a tweet a few years back, Talking about abortion, he said this, this is word for word, any fetus is less human than an adult pig. And you think, what kind of society have we got when people are teaching that? And you think of the voice that he has. What happens in this story of the healing of a highly disturbed man clearly illustrates that people are more important than animals. They are made in the image of God. It's not the main plot, it's not the main point of the story, but the meaning is there. Let me move on secondly to pigs and power. Now, in this story, there's a clash of two kingdoms. A kingdom of Satan with darkness and death and a kingdom of God which is light and life. And the issue that comes up in this passage so strongly is this. Which kingdom is more powerful? Who finally governs and rules? And so in this story, we have a man who is violent in his madness. And he lives among the dead and he's obsessed by death. And uh, he's given to self-abuse. And what we're going to see here is a clash of kingdoms as Jesus comes on the scene. Now, as we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus, on a number of times, confronts demonic powers. It doesn't seem that Jesus went looking for that, but his presence 
flushed out those powers of darkness. And so, in the very first miracle recorded in Mark's Gospel, um, Jesus enters a synagogue in Capernaum, and there's a man there with an impure spirit, and he cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And there is something about the life and the light of Jesus that seems to provoke and threaten demonic powers of darkness and death. And if people have an obsession with death, if there are overwhelming thoughts of suicide, people giving themselves to self-abuse, all of that points to a need for an encounter with a different kingdom, the need of the light and life of Jesus. And so the clash of kingdoms is demonstrated here. I suppose most obviously in verses 6 to 8, when this man Legion saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. In Matthew's account, uh, the demons, uh, he he gives a a slightly fuller account of what the demons said through this man. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? And that's interesting because demons are finally doomed and they know it. The reason the Son of God appeared, it says in Hebrews, was to destroy the devil's work. And there is a viewpoint uh, that I've heard around sometimes in churches where it's suggested the devil doesn't actually know he's defeated and so he still fights really hard hoping to win. That's not a biblical view, my friends. Rather, the Bible's view is this. Because the devil and the demons know that they are doomed, that they have an end, that they pour out their hatred and fury with ever extra venom. Christ struck the terminal blow against Satan and all demonic and dark powers at the cross. And in Colossians 2.15 it says, And having disarmed the authorities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And that means that in the future when Jesus returns, Dark demonic powers will be thrown down forever. But we're caught up, meanwhile, in this in-between period. We live between the cross and the return of Jesus Christ. And in this present time, although there are indications of the kingdom coming and getting stronger, there are also clashes between the kingdoms of demonic forces and darkness uh, together against the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of life and light. And this battle rages. And in this battle, we do have setbacks. We have to accept that. I think COVID is a setback for the church. It's a setback for us at Gateway. It's a setback for all the churches. We're going to have to fight our way back again, aren't we? There's there's a battle that you feel has now intensified. But it's not a war, my friends, we can finally lose. So Jesus comes on the scene And the demons know they're confronted with a stronger kingdom and a stronger power. Jesus 
is infinitely greater. And so Jesus orders the demons out of this man. Let me tell you, no demon can ever order Jesus out of you. But why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the pigs? Now, some commentators have tried to sanitize this story a bit and suggested, well, there was so much now going on that the pigs panicked, and you've got a kind of pig panic here, and they just rushed off and over the cliff and into the lake. Others have actually suggested that maybe they were suffering from some kind of mad pig disease, and it just happened at this moment uh, that they rushed off and killed themselves in the lake. Then we need to keep biblical here. The Bible says they were given permission the demons to go into the pigs. And in fact, this demonstrates the power and authority of Jesus. I think that's clear from a a verse like Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28, where Jesus spells it out very specifically. If, If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the government of God, the authority of God has come upon you. And the demons are removed to the pigs. And the result is that this man knows that he's not now just in a quiet patch and having a a bit of a better time, but the demons are out. They are gone. And with this clash of kingdoms, the man is clear of demonic powers of death and darkness. It's interesting in Mark's Gospel, and it's part of the reason that we're going through it in the way that we are over these few weeks, that we see that there's a growing momentum in this Gospel. So in Mark chapter 1, Jesus drives out an evil spirit. In Mark chapter 2, he heals a paralyzed man. In chapter 3, he drives demons out of many individual people. In chapter 4, he deals with nature in chaos and calms a storm. And now here in chapter 5, he drives out a whole legion of demons. Bear in mind that a legion had at least 6,000 soldiers in it. It's a picture of an ever-increasing kingdom. The king is on the march. His government, his rule, his authority is being extended. Power is breaking out. And church, I think particularly as we have to fight as we come out of this COVID pandemic, let's pray for an ever-increasing kingdom. I mean, let's be real. We need to recover some of the momentum that we, we knew before the uh, epidemic broke out. But there is power breaking out. I don't know if you've heard this, but in India, where they're suffering terribly from COVID and where Christians are being increasingly persecuted, Increasing numbers of Hindus are becoming Christians by seeing miracles taking place, healings taking place in their community. Now, we don't tend to see moves of the supernatural in quite that way. Pray God that we might. Very often we seem to have to argue it out. Um, But the fact is that there is power breaking out. I'd like to think that Gateway Church, we join together in prayer that there may be an increased momentum, which will mean that we will have our battles to fight. There will be a clash of kingdoms, but Jesus' authority, his strength, his power, his kingdom, that's the kingdom that's going to come and going to rule. Next, pigs and the prophetic. This uh, story is a prophetic action. It points to the future and what Jesus will do in the future. 
Famous theologian N.T. Wright says, the situation from a Jewish point of view is as unclean as it could possibly be. Jesus is in the wrong place. He's on the other side of the lake, which is Gentile territory, not Jewish territory. He's surrounded by pigs, which is anathema to, to Jews. He's meeting a man out of control, out of his clothes and out of his mind, obsessed by death, living among the tombs. This man lacks identity. Who are you? And he gives the name Legion. Jesus, in Jewish thought, was in enemy territory. But this great prophet of the ages stands there supreme. And what does he do? He overcomes. He wins, wins a great victory. He defeats demonic powers and he sets a madman free. But this is a prophetic action. It's speaking of what is to come. Because this prophet will pick off all his enemies until finally even death itself is destroyed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24, the Apostle Paul puts it like this, and the end will come when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all, and it means evil, dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Every miracle and every work of power that Jesus did was complete in itself. So Jesus sets a madman free. But every miracle and every work of power is also a signpost to the coming kingdom of God in all its fullness. Because one day every demon and every, every, every evil power will drown in a lake of fire. In James 2.19... The writer says, you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Because they know that they have an end. They know they're going to be cast down. They know that they're going to be destroyed forever. So why, in this great cosmic battle, be on the losing side? We can get all het up about pigs that drown, but what we need to see is the prophetic action, that one day all the powers of evil will be cast down, and they know that, and they shudder. Friends, we're living in a world of, it seems to me, of increasing chaos, moral chaos. Uh, everybody as it were, makes up his own mind about everything and no, there's, there's no absolutes. We live in a world of political chaos, it seems to me. We know we were living in COVID chaos. We're living in dreadful political dangers. If you read what's happening uh, around the world today, I'm not going to spell it out, but clearly the temperature is going up all the time, let alone the literal temperature. And we've got a climate chaos as well. We're living in a world of increasing chaos. You need to see the prophetic action that there is a new kingdom coming, which will be only the rule and authority and the governments of God. And then next we see this man is pig-free and happy. Pig-free and happy. In verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw that the man uh, had, who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there 
dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, afraid of the power that had been displayed. Have you ever heard uh, the statement, maybe it's been said to you, Christians are brainwashed? Do you know the right response to that? Yes. (laughs) We're washed, our brains have been washed with truth rather than the muck and the confusion so common today. Yes, we have been brainwashed, and thank you, Lord, that you've washed our brains. Jesus puts us into our right mind. That is one of the glories of the gospel. Josh McDowell, who is a famous writer, and he's written books on apologetics, demonstrating the reliability of, of Scripture and uh, the, talking about the ancient manuscripts which give us conviction about the reliability of Scripture, talking about evidence for the resurrection and so on. He wrote a book some years ago which became quite famous, a bestseller, Evidence, evidence That Demands a Verdict. And in this book he says, I used to be continually on the go because of restlessness. Now I'm on the go for another reason, peacefulness. I've got a satisfied mind. What's on people's minds today? Well, obviously it's different for different people, but for some it's drugs, for some it's crime, for some it's casual sex with no commitment, for some it's he who has the most toys wins, for some it's consumer greed, for some it's strange ideas about gender, for some it's the woke agenda, which I think is so damaging to young people. So much the stuff of demons and pigs that seems to be on people's minds. It's vital that we keep washing our minds with the truth. This is the glory of the gospel. It puts us in our right mind. It keeps us in our right mind. The Bible talks about every thought made captive to Christ. Do you know one of the problems with the way that people think is that people think short-term. Christians, in our right minds, we have to think long-term. It's not just what happens today or tomorrow or next week. It's not just the immediate political confusion or it's not just a a pandemic that lasts maybe for a a couple of years or so or however it takes to to run out. It's not just that we think short-term, but we think long-term. We've got to keep our eyes on the fact that Jesus, who's already demonstrated in this person that the kingdom has come and is demonstrating through the church in signs and wonders that take place that there is a kingdom coming, but there is a kingdom that's going to come in its fullness and bring in the full reign of God and the authority of God that will exist forever. Our minds have been set right. In Christ, we have a satisfied mind. It's the glory of the gospel. We're long-term thinkers. And then lastly, pigs and praise. And that's in uh, verses 18 to 20, at the end of the story where we see that this man who's been healed uh, wants to come and uh, live with Jesus or follow Jesus. But uh, uh, Jesus tells him he needs to stay in his own community, community and tell his own people how much the Lord had done for him. And think what a story he had to tell. I was full of demons. I was obsessed with death. I was abusing my body. I didn't even know who I was. I had the strength of madness. But this man, Jesus, he sent all my demons into a herd of pigs and now I'm free. 
See how much the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. All the people, they weren't worried about the pigs. They were amazed. And are we really aware this morning of what Jesus has done for us? Really aware that we're totally forgiven of all our sin, that we're utterly safe because God saves us for all eternity and will never let us go, that we're loved eternally. His love is being poured out with lavish grace on us, day in, day out, for eternity, that we're included in Christ. But what is true for Jesus is true for us, that we die and we will be raised, and that we're part of the family of God. And for some people, the tulip thing there will be significant. Okay, I'll leave that to you to work out. Church, we are people who are in our right minds. We have the glory of the gospel. It's amazing. Let's stand together, can we? (laughs) Father, thank you so much that uh, this story can teach us so much, Lord. I'm not sure I've only touched on a fraction of what it can teach us, but Lord, uh, this story isn't uh, just to consume us with worry about what happens to a group of pigs, but it's to give us an insight into the kingdom of, of light and power, the government of God, the rule of God, the fact that every dark demonic power will be thrown down, that whatever chaos there is in the world now, as long-term thinkers, we know the kingdom of God is going to come in its fullness. And only the authority and the rule and government of God will be demonstrated. Father, help us at this difficult time. It still is difficult, Lord. We, we know that uh, there are people still afraid, people still getting diseased, still people still getting ill, still dying. People still wondering about the future. How is it all going to pan out? Lord, we know these are difficult days. And as a church, we've got to regroup and regather and fight our way back into momentum and forward movement and to uh, see you advance, Lord, through what we're doing and the mission that we have. Lord, we pray that we may be prayerful people in these times, that we might fight the battle, Lord, that we may win the war, which we know we can only win because it's in Jesus Christ. And God that this kingdom of light and life will grow and grow until the day dawns when Jesus returns in power and glory and there'll be no more demons, no more death, no more darkness, no more COVID, no more chronic pain, no more cancer, no more disease. But God will rule King, Lord of all, over a perfect kingdom and a perfect universe in which we will be the bride and the wife of Jesus Christ to enjoy him forever. Lord, thank you that you've given us clean minds, clear minds. May we live for your praise and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.